Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spartan Insider. Today we'd like to thank senior student Isaac Dillon for composing our new introduction music. Today we're going to hear from Pastor Mark Warren of Calvary Baptist Church as he brings the message to our students. At battle and um, progressing on and actually defeating their arch or the enemy at the end of uh, the return of the king. If you've never seen or read The Lord of the Rings, then... Um, would encourage you to do that. Out of outside of the Bible in the 20th century, that's the 1900s. Lord of the Rings was the second highest read book across the globe. Pretty impressive. Um, anyways, not that we're uh, here to talk about Lord of the Rings. Theoden King says that line. How did it come to this? And what's happened under his? rule is that the, the wicked Saruman has developed this whole host of armies that finally gets unleashed upon them, and uh, they have to contend now in this great epic battle called the Battle of Helm's Deep uh, in the movie, in the book, and uh, they go on to win, and then life moves forward. For the nation of Israel, they might ask the same question. How did it come to this? And it's the moments before they're taken off into captivity, into Babylonian exile, because of something that they have been actively involved in for literally generations as a nation. And eventually, God says, enough's enough. The armies of Babylon are coming, and they will take you away. You and your children, they will decimate this nation. And uh, that's right where Isaiah's prophecy begins, uh, Isaiah chapter 1. So just here as I read 2 Kings 25, this is the book in the Hebrew Bible that is stitched right uh, in front of Isaiah's prophecy and so for the reader who's reading the Hebrew Bible, Genesis to the end of the Hebrew Bible, they would be impressed or maybe uh, not impressed, but just frustrated over the lack of righteousness by the nation of Israel as they continue this track of sinfulness, rejecting God constantly. And they would turn that page to Isaiah and they would hear a prophecy declaring judgment upon the people. Um, so here again, 2 Kings 25, you are in Isaiah 1, we'll get there in a few minutes. <clears throat> in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. They laid siege to the city and built a siege wall against it all around. The city was under siege until King Zedekiah's eleventh year. So for two years, um, the city was under siege. Verse 3, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that common people had no food. So the city was broken into, and all the warriors fled at night by way of the city gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Even the Chaldeans surrounded the city, even though they had done that. As the king made his way along the route to the Arava, the Chaldean army pursued him and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Zedekiah's entire army left him and scattered. 
The Chaldeans seized the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they, pre- they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered his sons before his eyes. And finally, the king of Babylon blinded Zedekiah. They bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, he entered Jerusalem. He burned the Lord's temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned them down, all the great houses. The whole Chaldean army with captains of the guard tore down the walls surrounding Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, deported the rest of the people who remained in the city, the deserters who had defected to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the population. The captain of the guards left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and farmers. Now, Chaldeans broke into pieces the bronze pillars of the Lord's temple, the water carts, the bronze basin, which were in the Lord's temple, and carried them off to Babylon. They also took the pots, the shovels, wick trimmers, the dishes, all the bronze articles used in the priest's service. The captain of the guards took away the fire pans and sprinkling basins, whatever was gold or silver. As for the two pillars, the one basin and water carts that Solomon had made for the Lord's temple, the weight of the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. One pillar was 27 feet tall and had a bronze capital on top of it. It encircled, was encircled by a, uh, by a grating and pomegranates of bronze, stood five feet high. The second pillar was the same. The captain of the guards also took away Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest of the second rank, the three doorkeepers from the city, he took a court official who had been appointed over the warriors, five trusted royal aides found in the city, the secretary of the commander of the army who enlisted the people for the land, of the land for military duty, took 60 men from the common people who were found within the city, and Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, took them, brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah, King of Babylon put them to death, and in the land of Hamath, at the, at, uh, put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah went into exile from its land. Wow. If you have read anything of the Old Testament, you have hopefully slogged your way through Exodus 25 through 40. 20, Exodus is a recount of the building of the tabernacle and all of the pieces of worship that the Israelites had in place by God's design for the, for the sake of worshiping the Creator God as He had revealed Himself to the nation. And so all of those bronze artifacts that are listed out here in 2 Kings 25 are the things that made up, pieced together the worship of Israel And Babylon just comes in and just takes everything away, which is quite symbolic in the sense that everything they knew about what they called worship to God had been totally stripped away. Not to mention the fact that those who were the priests and the leaders leading the people in worship were also totally decimated They're taken before the king outside the city somewhere in Israel, and they're put to death 
the, uh, the indication is clear at the end of the book of 2 Kings. Israel and Israel's God is no more. And you have to ask yourself the same question that King Theoden asked. How did it come to this? Wow. What, is, what has happened in this great nation of Israel who was called out from among the Egyptians, who was given the privilege of God revealing himself to them through his commands on Mount Sinai, given the opportunity to live righteously and to choose uh, a life that would reflect and glorify their creator, and yet they find that their future is captivity, is exile, is decimation. How did it come to this? So look in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1. Again, the, if, if, you are, if we're reading a Hebrew text, we would read all of the decimation of 2 Kings 25, and we'd open the scroll a little further to find Isaiah's prophecy. And this is what we would read. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah the son of Amoz saw during the reigns of the kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I've raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Oh, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt, the heart is sick. From the sole of your foot to your head, no spot is uninjured. Wounds and welts, sores, not cleansed, bandaged. Your land is desolate, your cities burned. Foreigners devour your fields right in front of you. Desolation, like a place demolished by foreigners. Daughter Zion is abandoned, like a shelter in a vineyard, like a shack in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. The Lord of armies had not left us a few survivors. We would be like Sodom. We would resemble Gomorrah. Oh, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams, the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths, the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. 
I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden, and I am tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what is good. Pursue justice. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come, says the Lord, let us settle this together. Though your sins be scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Would you pray with me just a moment? Our Father in heaven, we come to you in this hour. We look to your scriptures to understand your heartbeat for us. May we humble ourselves, Lord Jesus to live lives that reflect your heartbeat. Help us to put away the sin that so easily just tears us down, burdens us, and may we look afresh to your cross this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is an encouraging chapel. What? It's Friday. You're supposed to be happy. Judgment is upon Judah. And Isaiah says, ah, the sinful nation, as he looks out and he sees what has transpired in their history and the result or the reasons for that. You see, they were more interested in their actions, their activities, their sacrifices than they were concerned about their attitude the sinfulness that was uh, undermining everything about what they were doing. And as a result, they lose everything. For those reading this text from 2 Kings into Isaiah's prophecy, we ought to be shocked to read the sinfulness and the ultimate exile of God's chosen nation. And then you turn the page to Isaiah and we're saddened greatly by this proclamation and rejection of God towards his people. Wow. The depth of their sinfulness. I want us to understand a couple things this morning. One is the things that we do, the activities that we think get us up the ladder of godliness versus an attitude, a position of humility to understand that there is no activity I can put in place that allows me to climb a ladder of righteousness. We tend to be just like Israel and say, if I just do this activity, this worship, 
this offering, this trip, I can raise myself in the level of God's eyes. And as soon as we start to make that our, our mantra or our, our theme in life, a passage like this comes along and says, we're dead wrong. In fact, it was Jesus who picks up Isaiah's message in a way in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard that it was said before, thou shalt not murder. What does Jesus say? He says, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you've already murdered. And the Israelite might say, wait a second, I've not actually physically killed somebody. I've never shot or stabbed or whatever. And Jesus would say, you look at someone with hatred, you are a murderer. Wow, that is hard language. See, we can look to our list of, well, I, I don't do this, and I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do this. I must be, and Jesus comes along, along with the prophet Isaiah, and he says, our activities don't amount to a certain level of righteousness. Um, we would be lost, same as Israel, in 2 Kings 25, if that's the way we view righteousness. He says, Jesus says, you've heard from the said of old, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. And he says, but I say to you, Jesus says, anyone who has lust in his heart already has committed adultery. Isaiah comes along and says to the people that God hates their sacrifices because they mix, they mix sin into the festival. They mix a sinful attitude and mindset into everything they're doing. And as a result, they're taken away into captivity and they lose everything. But note that here the, there is graciousness even in this text of judgment. Isaiah says this, Though your sins be scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're crimson red, they will be like wool. In your mind, what do you think of when you hear those words besides the Chris Tomlin song, Love Ran Red? Which is a great song, by the way. When John the baptizer, the one who baptizes, comes on the scene, what does John say? Behold, you can say it out loud, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. When Isaiah prophesies this sentence, this statement, your sin, though they be like scarlet, will be washed white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be made like wool. Wow. What kind of animal wears wool? Sheep. What kind of animal did the Jews understand was the only kind of animal to remove their sinfulness? What kind of animal is the Lord Jesus uh, called? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Isaiah makes that prophecy, 
he may or may not be thinking about Messiah coming on the scene and finally eradicating the sinfulness, the need of the world, but he certainly says that, and those of us who read the text today can see the Lord Jesus and his work of salvation within that and say, that's the Lord and his work on the cross, his shed blood, he doesn't use soap and water to clean us. He uses his blood to clean us. And so the prophet says, though our sins are like red, scarlet red like blood, they'll be washed white as snow. Though we're like crimson, be washed like wool. And there's kind of a, uh, there's a hint or maybe a twist that says that we understand New Testament-wise that it's the blood, the shed blood of Christ, the red blood of Christ that washes us clean. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The song goes like this. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. Do you know this? I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Some in this room, I believe, are basing our goodness in God's sight on the justifiableness of our actions. We think that we can climb the ladder of righteousness based on a series of compliance to certain standards and rules. However, both Isaiah and our Lord Jesus would condemn us where we stand. He would look at us and say, it's not on your works of righteousness that gets you into my kingdom. Instead, it is only by faith, faith in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus that we can find security in God's kingdom. I would guess that some of you in this room have yet to buy into that idea. You have yet to believe that it's simply by your faith in the work of Jesus Christ that you gain salvation. And it's not by a series of steps of righteousness to finally arrive at a certain point of righteousness. And it's my prayer for you, for myself, that we would, all of us, walk by faith and place our faith in the perfect work of redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that Isaiah and the Lord Jesus agree only through faith in his perfect work of redemption can we find security in knowing that we are in God's kingdom. Isaiah is a, is, a, is a long book of prophecy. It has many judgment statements, many salvation statements. Let's end on a salvation statement before you head off to class. Chapter 2 begins this way in Isaiah. The vision that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established. 
at the top of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many people. And they will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. <laughs> That's a beautiful sight of the peace that is yet to come. We don't necessarily see this on the news and in the media, but as believers, that in, therein lies our hope that the Lord will establish his kingdom on earth and we will forever be with the Lord. Those who live today before that happens, we have his spirit who indwells folks, men, women, young and old who call on the Lord Jesus for salvation, who commit to live for him. We're indwelt by his spirit, inaugurating that kingdom, that kingdom reality in our hearts, enabling us to live at peace even today. And you can, you can read missionary stories and accounts of God moving in the world in such a way that it, draw, it brings peace in their culture. May that be said of us. And as you go out from this chapel moment, may you think about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the day go on, pass you by without that thought process. Teachers be ready to hear students' questions and say, life is bigger than just today. And uh, let's be ready to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father in heaven, we do thank you for our time. It's, it, uh, it's a gift from you. These young minds, Lord, we pray that you would impress yourself upon all of us, that we might, we might walk with a greater vision of who you are in our lives. And for some who who base their righteousness with you on a series of good works. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the folly of that pursuit. Help us to strive in faith, to rest in your work of redemption on our behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. You're dismissed.